This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online and Blue Chew. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show, and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show, one in which we'll be reviewing episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance, because that is pretty much all there is to talk about at the moment, and pretty much that's the only thing I want to talk about at the moment anyway. And here to do that with me today is the one, the only C-Red Fred. Fred, how are you, sir? Mark, my friend, I'm doing uh, living the dream as as well you can in a quarantine. But uh, this this doc just keeps on delivering. Just when I didn't think it get any higher, every week just comes with more emotional uh, delivery. I just can't believe. It. I thought the last seven and eight were the best best twos. No 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 surprise that episode number seven was in the, was the best episode so far. Yeah, the episodes keep getting better the more they delve into these sort of deeper and more significant topics. We probably didn't get that as much in episodes ones and two, which was just, you know, setting the table as to who Jordan was, who Pippen was, and then obviously going to Dennis and his background and those sorts of things. But the more we get into the nitty gritty of, of things and, and the, the commotion surrounding the team as we sort of start to get into that era now in episodes seven and eight, which covered off basically where we left off last time. So essentially from 93 onwards into about 96, the end, the end of that first reap yeah the end of the the first title of the second repeat i should say so that's essentially where this sort of doc where these episodes take place i guess a two and a half year span between 93 and 96 or somewhere in that vicinity at least it covers obviously jordan's uh initial retirement the the unfortunate murder of his father which you know the, the impact that that had on on him or as a personal on a personal level but the the impact that had on him from um his decision to retire what that meant for the bulls um during michael's absence obviously jordan playing baseball what that meant to him and then his his eventual return to the team in 96 or in 95 rather 
the trials and tribulations of that season before moving into the uh, the legendary 72 and 10 season. So yeah. at a very, very high level, that's what episodes seven and eight covered. But what were the things that stood out to you that uh, was most fascinating to you? Well, I mean, there were a lot of great moments, I thought, in this episode. Where my, the, 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 the number one being at the end where Michael started to get a little emotional talking mm-hmm. about how he played the game. I thought that whole section was phenomenal. One of the things I noticed in that specific section was they showed a, a part of practice. And I, I kind of tweeted about this, but I think it's absolutely true. As a coach, who's I've been blessed to coach a lot of really good teams, um, girls basketball, my daughter's teams, my son's teams, over the course of the last you know, 10 or so years, uh, a lot of these teams have been great. And one thing I can say is the players who finished first or near first in what are ladders, they used to be called suicides, and team sprints have been almost invariably the ones that are most conducive to winning. These are the players that I just love the coach. These are players that really care. And I noticed in that clip while he was talking, that they showed a clip of Jordan at practice leading the whole team in wind sprints. Did you catch that? Is that something you caught? And so that was one thing that really stuck with me. And, and, And I can count on one hand the amount of them who finished last, who generate more wins. You know, like there have been a few occasions where we've had kids that are extremely talented that finished last, but it's so rare. In general, that's been a fact. So seeing Jordan you know, lead the whole team. I think that's that's what really true greatness is about. When you have a guy who's so incredibly talented, yet he's the hardest worker on the team, that just is going to yield something incredible. And that's what we had here with Michael. Yeah, for sure. And you referenced that that the end of episode seven where he started to get emotional to the point where he he called for a break because he was getting emotional. They're talking about what winning meant to him, what what it took to win and, and, and the price of his leadership and the price of winning and all that sort of stuff. I, said, I guess he was addressing the question of the fact that his teammates didn't necessarily like him or he didn't come across as a nice guy uh, as such. So that's where that sort of conversation sort of took place. And it was interesting to see Michael react that way. That was probably the realest moment we've had throughout the, docu- the docuseries thus far of Jordan showing true actual vulnerability and, and emotion so that was certainly interesting to see but uh, uh yeah it, it, the line that stood out to me was the fact that he never asked his teammates to do something he would never do and to your point you know when you see jordan running sprints and running lanes and doing all the all, all those sorts of things the fact that he's the one doing it he's the one in front he's the one carrying himself that way he's dragging and pulling everyone with him in his own way we can debate if it had to be that way or if that's necessary to win you have to be a maniac like jordan but yeah uh, to his point he never did anything or asked of them anything that he would never do which is fascinating as is your uh, ability to always connect professional sports to your coaching career <laughs> with coaching kids <laughs> I find that fascinating too. I, I, I got to throw one other note in there. Tim Grover's part where he actually got yeah. choked up, I thought was that phenomenal. Was where he talked about, uh, you know, after they lost to the Magic, and some, I remember those games extremely well. The team was thirty four and thirty one when Jordan came back in ninety five. They went on a run. You know, they did really well to finish the year, but there were a lot of questions about MJ at that point. Like, oh my gosh, he's not what he's what he once was. And for him to tell Tim, you know, I'll see you tomorrow thinking he's going to take two weeks off just just a testament to this guy's work ethic and greatness he's just such a i i feel just so lucky to be in chicago to witness this guy i i thank god that i was able to be a fan of this team 
when this athlete came to Chicago, which is so fortunate. It, it's like somebody who was a fan of the Yankees in the 20s, right, and got to see Babe Ruth or Jackie Robinson and the Dodgers, one of the greats. Michael Jordan, to me, beats them all. Like, he's the greatest athlete of all time. And to think that I was formed, that's why I am what I am today. That's why I'm C-Red Fred. That's why no one else uh, loves the Bulls like I do. It's because of this guy, Michael Jordan. I just I worship the guy. I do have to note the section on the 1.8 seconds. Uh, for all the Pippin lovers out there, and, and this is something that I grew – I mean, I lived through. I remember this is extremely well. Um, if, you know, 1.8 seconds left in that game, what, what, what was lost in the documentary was the context of what happened in that game. The Bulls were down 2-0. They came back home. They played great for the first three quarters. They had an 89-70 lead going into the fourth quarter. The Bulls over the next 11 and a half minutes blew a 19-point lead. Uh, it was one of the most monumental, disappointing, embarrassing collapses I've ever seen in a basketball game for them to blow that lead. And Ewing ties it up with 1.8 seconds left. So that's the context. If the Bulls, if Tony Kukoc does not hit that shot, you would have to be a moron to think the Bulls win that game. They absolutely lose that game in overtime. And if he misses, if he misses that shot, let's just assume he misses it, Tony saved Pippen's career in Chicago because Pippen basically rehabbed his whole image within that series. The dunk on Ewing happened in game six. There is no game six if Tony Kukoc doesn't hit that shot. There is, and this is Tony Kukoc, this is the same player that Scottie Pippen had questioned whether or not he should even be in the league during the Olympics a few, you know, scant two years or a year or so earlier. And for him to, in this doc, say to this day, that he would do it again, even after Bill Cartwright is crying in the post game, to me is pure insanity, pure insanity. And I was a little offended. Um, I love Scottie Pippen. He's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. He, he could be the best defensive player I've ever seen. That's the only area he approaches Michael. And anything else, anybody who lived through it, no one would even question whether or not Scottie was in the same class as Michael because he wasn't. Nobody was. It's not, not a fault against him. Uh, but the the gap in the delta between those two is so huge and so massive. I think it's kind of ridiculous how there's been this movement to kind of put those two closer together when they're really not. You know, Scotty did not have that clutch gene. So I think I've kind of waxed poetic enough. What say you? I knew this was coming, and I knew it was coming. <laughs> Here we go. In our previous episodes that we've discussed, The Last Dance, it has been uh, – you have sort of alluded to uh, – I don't know what the right word is for it, but I've sensed a frustration among you, uh, amongst the force, let's say, amongst you with your the way you deal with Scotty Pippen or the way you interpret his legacy and the way he should be uh, the way he should be remembered. And for whatever reason, you seem to have some issues with Scotty, or at least those who propel Scotty to certain levels in your mind, at least. So, given what was happening in episode seven and eight, which you alluded to and jumped to just then, in terms of the fact that Scotty sat out in game three of the this eastern semis when jordan had retired yeah i, I knew your uh i knew i knew in advance what your reaction to that would be so i'm not surprised to hear you say that personally for me being the the massive pippin fan that you that you're probably alluding to i'm probably i'm one of the target audience that you are alluding to i've got <laughs> to this day, this always <laughs> to this day i've got no issues with pippin doing it only because i love scotty so much obviously in uh in a more rational moment i can agree that it was an absolutely ridiculous thing to do and him saying that he would still do it again to this day um maybe i'm giving scotty too much credit but 
They are. did say at the time that he was regretful. He was he was tearful and he apologized for doing it. Now, for him to say now in the documentary that he would do it all again, maybe there was something snipped out of it. Maybe he, he there was more context that he wanted to add to that that he didn't necessarily add in the sense that, you know, as an example, maybe he did what he, he did and he would continue to do so. He doesn't regret that decision because it led to certain events like you were sort of alluding to that played out in a way that better, bettered him, bettered his team and made for the entire situation to be a lot more fruitful in that sense. So maybe that's what he was trying to say when he he was saying he didn't regret his, his situation or regret making that decision. So maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm giving Scotty too much cover on that front, but I'm prepared to go to bat for Scotty on that one. Well, Jason Goff in the latest Bulls talk, I don't know if you heard this, I have, yeah. had, had the ridiculous analogy of where he was talking to Big Dave. Big Dave, who called it correctly, saying that, uh, you know, it was absolutely ridiculous that Pip, what he did. There's absolutely no doubt it was an, it was an embarrassing moment, and he doesn't understand that people are trying to justify it. And then Jason said, All right, let me throw this out at you. Let's say in six years, the Bulls are contending for a title, and on Bulls Outsiders, Bulldog <laughs> tells him, why don't you sit this one out? We're going to see Red Fred come in. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I was literally just like, I couldn't believe you would throw that analogy out there. Here's the difference. Uh, Big Dave has come through time and time again. Unlike Scotty at that point, who had the, the migraine, who had missed shot after shot in the Suns series when he was given the opportunity to win those games in the in the middle in the middle uh, middle games in Chicago that we lost and Paxson had to save us in Game Six in, in Jordan. Paxson Jordan had to save us in Game Six. It's it's a ridiculous analogy for that reason. Now I don't mind be calling Tony Tony Kukoc. Don't get me wrong, but Big Dave, unlike Scotty at that time, has shown he's come through again and again. So although I will take uh, Bulldog's suggestion and just jump on the show as a fourth outsider, I don't think replacing him is a proper analogy. Do you do you uh, see what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm kind of talking in circles here. <laughs> I, I mean, it's ridiculous what you're trying to ascertain. But uh, look, what I would say is, and Dave <laughs> on that podcast was. He, the way he would approach it, he said that he was, you know, if, if if Bulldog did make that decision, if Kevin made that decision, he whilst he wouldn't support it, whilst he wouldn't be happy with it, because that's the coach in that situation making the decision that he would accept it and he would uh, he would he would do whatever the coach says. Essentially, that's what he was saying. He was, he was playing or suggesting that he would play the uh, the good sport on that, which I completely believe that would be Dave's character. But let me just say, if I was in Dave's position and I was on Bulls Outsiders and Kevin came to me and said to me that uh, I'm replacing you with C. Redfred tonight, I'm, I'm doing that for playoff coverage. If I was on Bulls Outsiders, I would pull a Pippen if you were replacing me too. So I completely understand Scotty's position on it. I, I, uh, it the makes correct sense. analogy would be if Rusty LaRue was called to take the shots instead of Pippen in that case. I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> or instead of Tony, but oh, I, I wanted to good talk stuff, about man, that man. because the, uh, I, it's interesting how Pippen is being portrayed in this because a lot of it has been about his poorer moments. Let's say so. You referenced then the uh, you know some of his playoff failures, if we want to call it there. We they've obviously touched on the the contract issues that he's had throughout the years with Kraus. The, the Kukoc stuff, obviously, they've touched on that already. We went into the 1.8 seconds last night on, on, on episode seven and eight. So from a Scotty, from, from Scotty's perspective, at least, the, the bigger talking points that they've discussed in this, 
in this uh, documentary series at the moment have probably been more so on the negative sides of Scotty or the, the, at least the, the, the bigger points that will land with the audience at least, those who aren't familiar with, with Scotty's body of work. It's probably been more on the negative side. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I've... I've been uneasy about it, and, and look, I'm not surprised given that this is a yeah, is, this is a project that Jordan has his hands all over. So I'm not surprised that those elements are sort of taking shine, particularly in a a documentary where that those sorts of narratives are probably more entertaining and uh, will probably rivet the audience a lot more than Scotty being you know the ultimate defender, the ultimate teammate, all that sort of stuff. They didn't really get into that '94 season at all, which again, no surprise given that Jordan wasn't there, but. I don't know how what, what how do you feel about them sort of overlooking certain aspects not just when not just with certain not just with Scotty but uh, even other other members of the team even Phil and I, and then the I, like. I'm I'm shocked you're you're hearing this I started to hear this narrative that this has been unfair <laughs> to Scotty and it I'm has. like shocked I totally disagree with that number one it's changed my opinion in, in of him somewhat in that for the better in that every teammate unequivocally loves the guy. I haven't heard one negative statement about Scottie Pippen as a teammate. Yeah. You heard it from Kukoc. You heard it from Kerr, Wennington. Every guy beloved Scottie Pippen. Now, I will admit, I, I was not aware of his universal love, even Michael Jordan, for Scottie Pippen. And it wasn't aware there was such a universal love for him as a teammate. And for that, he absolutely deserves credit. I mean, he did engender quite a bit of admiration and respect. But as a fan who lived through that era, um, like I thought they – I thought glossing over the loss, the migraine game, to me was the biggest mistake. That migraine game, to me, I'm going to bring this up with my friend Sylvie, hopefully in the next few weeks, and i hopefully going to have him on the show. i got to invite him on. But to me, up until that point, that was the worst loss in the history of Chicago sports. It was worse than 84 Cubs, 83 White Sox, 89 Cubs. I think it's even to this day underestimated how devastating that loss was. When you look back at that time, there was discussion about the Michael and the Jordanaires. Was this team good enough to, to win a title with Michael Jordan? The, they had lost 4-1 to the Pistons two years previously. The year previously, they lost 4-2. You bring in Phil Jackson, you lose 4-3 with Scotty's migraine. Uh, Horace Grant goes 3-17, B.J. Armstrong 1-8, Scotty Pippen 1-10. There was massive questions at that point whether or not the Bulls would ever win a title with this cast of characters surrounding Michael Jordan. There were even questions about Michael even then, which was which was utterly ridiculous because, in my opinion, he was ready to win titles in, in 1986. It was his teammates who weren't ready. And to have that type of performance in such an important and pivotal game, there were massive questions about Pippen. He didn't make the All-Star team in '91. He signed his contract or questions about his health. Um, he absolutely performed better than his contract. But that, the 1.8, uh, again, I thought was a little bit soft-pedaled. It was a massive, massive issue in Chicago. And I think he was even traded. Let's be honest what happened. For those who aren't aware, Dave Kaplan, you can listen on Bullseye to this story. The Bulls traded Scottie Pippen in June of 1994 after this playoff series. That game occurred in May 13th that we're talking about, one eight, uh, the 1.8 game. The Bulls lost in seven to the Knicks. He was absolutely traded for, for Sean Kemp, and the Bulls were going to move up from 21 to 13, and the Sonics were going to get moved down from thir- uh, 13 to 21. So they were actually going to move up in the draft and get Sean Kemp. I remember working that evening and, and hearing about this and thinking Sean Kemp is one of the best six players, seven players in the NBA, this is a great trade. I was excited. 
I was absolutely excited just because there was still such a stain about the 1.8 and the fact that they weren't going to go anywhere. We just is if it's if this was a team with Scotty as the best player, they weren't good enough to get to to a title, win a championship. Whereas Sean Kemp was an exciting player. That pl- that trade was not stopped in Chicago. That was stopped in but in Seattle when fans started canceling their season tickets because Sean Kemp was traded. So I have a completely different view of Scottie Pippen than most people because I do remember what it was like before they won the three titles and then the 1.8 happened. He was not at the status that he is today and looked at fondly. No doubt about it, he's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. But he had a lot of holes in his game, in, in just my opinion, in terms of coming through when it mattered most. 1998 against the Indiana Pacers, Game 3. He had two massive free throws to, to wrap up that game. The Bulls would have gone up 3-0. He bricked them both. Reggie, Reggie Miller comes down, hits a 3, the Bulls lose. So, I mean, he had he had... That cost him two to one, and that game ended up going seven. It should have never got to that point. There were a lot of times he failed like that. I never trusted him like I did Michael or even Tony when the game was on the line on the offensive end. I know there's a lot of people listening to his role in their eyes, but if you live through those years like I did, I, I don't. That's the other thing is I don't think he was ever a top five player in the NBA. Barkley was better at that point. Uh, Kim Elijahwan, David Robinson. Um, trying to think of some of the other players during that era. Uh, that were really great. No, I mean, you don't have to. Scotty was amazing in '94. I mean, could- that year, that Mark, that was the only year. You, Sha- Sha- Shaquille O'Neal was better uh, in in the years after that. Um, that was the only year I'd say he was a top five player. And I think he did make first team All NBA that year. Is that I, I'll go back and check. Why? But well, I'll let you respond to my comments. I've so. I've talked on for a while here. What's your opinion? Yeah, I, I'm just my opinion is you hold grudges against Scottie Pippen, and like just like you hold grudges against someone like Jimmy Butler. I, I get it, Fred. You're a you're a vengeful person. Oh you, you hold your grudges, and that's that's what I'm taking away from it. <laughs> Every time we talk about Jimmy Butler, you talk about his failures against Boston in that series, but you never bring up the good thing. It's always it's always that, and it's similar with Scotty. And I've sensed it throughout our conversations over the last few weeks in in talking about the last dance and I and I knew it was just gonna come back as a topic and we've spent the last ten minutes talking about Scotty Pippen that that's how much you hold your grudges, my friend. Alright, so here. Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, <laughs> David Robinson, uh, uh Clyde the, Drexler, the same name. Akeem Lajuan story. What's <laughs> what'd you say? So they're the same names as you mentioned before. Let's move on. Let's move on. You're a Scotty hater. I'm a Scotty appreciator. I'm not a Scotty hater. I think he's a a fantastic player. Eh, Debatable. I don't think that's the case. He's better than Jimmy Butler, no doubt. Go on. (laughs) Moving along. uh, Let's talk about the rest of episode seven and eight. Before we do so, let's take a quick break. First, let me tell you about Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? Then no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All of that is open 24 hours a day, and all of it is online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Let me also tell you about Blue Chew. 
guys looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work even faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't even need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Bluetooth's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluetooth.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's bluetooth, B-L-U-E-T-U.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, back to the podcast now. Let's move on from talking about Scottie Pippen because we're going to get lost in that conversation again for another 10 minutes. I wanted to talk about this, the mystique around Jordan being this, you know, psychopathic winner of sorts. The fact that he had to be this crazy, obsessed winner the way he was. What what are your opinions on this? Because in watching episode seven and eight, I was I was going back and forward as to whether it had to be this way or and whether it could only be this way based on the teammates that Michael had. And and I say that because and I alluded to this to I alluded this to this last week where I was I mentioned Tim Duncan and the fact that Tim Duncan won just as much as well not just as much, but one is won pretty heavily in the NBA, going about it in a completely different approach to Michael Jordan, yet he was obviously uh, wildly successful, as were the Spurs. Completely different approach to the Bulls, to, to Jordan, which I, I guess suggests that there's obviously there's a multiple ways you can go about this, multiple ways that you can win. But what are your thoughts around Jordan's perception in terms of him being this jerk, the one, this guy that this guy that didn't necessarily get along with his teammates? We saw the way he treated Scott Burrell. We saw, or they got into the the whole punching incident with Will Perdue and Steve Kerr, and and what that sort of did for those guys, but the team itself. But do you think it was necessary for Michael to be this crazy maniac that he was in, in order to to bring out six rings, or could it have happened a different way? I don't think it could have happened a different way. I think he, I think those players weren't good enough for them to be treated like Tim Duncan treated them. Like I think he needed to pull, he needed to toughen up Scotty and Horace. They were not, to me, mentally or physically tough enough to beat the Pistons. Um, and that was proven in the fact that how awful they played continually for the first two years in the playoffs against them. I think it finally got to the point where Michael said, listen, I need you to be more scared of me at practice than you are of the Pistons. You're not going to have any choice here. You're either going to you're going to deal with them and stand up to them, or you're going to have to deal with me. That was how I always viewed that situation. Um, but I will admit, it's a very fine line. Like I, I've I've run into guys in my career, like not like Michael, skill wise, or you know, you have to bring it on the court if you're going to be like that. I always bring this story. Um, in my younger days, I'm not going to mention the, the the guy's name. I'll, I'll just let's just call him Tommy. Tommy was an excellent <laughs> basketball player. It's a true story. Tommy right. was an excellent just, basketball player. Just before you player. go on, though, yeah. are you going to be the Jordan in this parallel? <laughs> let's just assume I'm always the Jordan in these uh, <laughs> these stories. But I was always a very I was more let's say the Tim Duncan type of teammate. I always believed in you know building guys up instead of tearing them down. You know that kind of attitude. But you can play but the I, difference. I, I was never – this is going to my high school days. In high school, I was not the best player, as unlike I was in, 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 in grammar school. But in high school, I was right in the middle. And we had a guy in our high school team, just call him Tommy, 
who was a complete jackass, who thought he was a good player, but he wasn't great by any means. And he loved to demean other players on the team when they didn't do well. And so there was a situation that we had early in the year. There was a kid on our team who got fouled, Steve M. Uh, anybody who was there remembers this situation. Two two free throws to end the game. We were down by two. He pulled a Kirk Heinrich and bricked both of them. <laughs> and so, so uh, in the locker room afterwards, Tommy – was just berating this kid, Steve. Just calling, well, you're, you jackass, you cost us the game, you mother effer. Just, just yelling at him. It was so uncalled for. A lot of us stepped in and said, you know, pound sand. And uh, eventually we diffused the situation. But lo and behold, lo and behold, here we are in the playoffs. Let's fast forward three months. We're in the playoffs. First round, and guess what happens? Tommy gets fouled. With no time left on the clock. I think we were down one, actually. Take this back. We were down one, and he had two free throws. And he missed both of them. And nobody on that team talked to that kid in the locker room. Nobody said a word to him. Nobody gave him a word of encouragement. Because that jackass got what he deserved. So that's the difference. Like, if you're going to act like that, you better be able to talk the talk and walk the walk, right? Yeah. Michael could. Michael could. And, and, and as he said, too, there was nothing I asked my teammates to do that I wouldn't do. That may be so. I just don't ever believe in, like, questioning the manhood of teammates. I don't ever think that's a good thing. It's the same thing Jimmy Butler did, except with far less great results, you know, basically with first-round exits. So what good is that? You know, like, uh, Michael actually won titles. That's what matters. And I think what he did was, uh, you know, the results speak for themselves. Weddington said it. What say you? Well, I don't know. I go back and forth it on the whole situation because, you know, ignoring your illustrious playing career and that you know, soliloquy that you sort of just dove into and how that related to my question somehow, um, I go back and forth on it because to me, in a sense that Michael could probably only get away with being that way based on the personalities that Phil was, the, who Scotty was, who Horace was, who all these players around him were, were and, and their willingness to accept that style of leadership. If they were different type of personalities, different type of people who maybe wouldn't, wouldn't want to hear it that way, then maybe Michael's abrasiveness wouldn't be able to be received in the way, in the way he was sort of delivering it. So in a sense, it could work. For Jordan, for the Bulls, obviously it did work based on who all the personalities were, putting that all in the melting pot and it coming out the way it did. It clearly worked. But I just wonder with different personalities if it could work like that and, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe maybe that is the uh, the beautiful thing about team sports is that the mix of it all is what makes it all work. Jordan can be a, a complete psychopath like that to, to someone like Scotty, to Horace because they're the type of personalities who need that, who would welcome that, whereas... I don't know if Jordan tried to do that against Charles Barkley. If Charles Barkley was his teammate, would would Charles be as receptive? I don't know. Or insert whoever player's name who who you want in that in that case. Same thing with the whole Tim Duncan thing. And that's why when I think about it, I go back and forth as to did it need to be this way? Well, I don't know if it did, but clearly it worked. So who cares? The results are what they are. But it's it's just an interesting uh, thought experiment, I suppose. I don't think that form of leadership works anymore, though. Probably not. Like I no. think there were there were guys back when Michael played when I was growing up, it was a lot more accepted. It was a lot more the, the Bobby Knight mentality where coaches would just berate players and just tell them how much they sucked. And it was just like a, it was just more a lot more accepted. It doesn't go that way anymore. You you it's more of a sales job. I think Boylan is partly you know kind of like from that era and Thibodeau, and uh, those guys those those days are long gone. 
You know, I think you really need to be more of a salesman in that coaching position to have any modicum of success. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree with that based on today for sure, for sure. Another thing that was pretty key in episode seven and eight was the uh, building up the legend of Jordan. Not that they necessarily needed to do that, but the fact that he would take any slight of of any level, no matter how small or big, and and would use that as fuel to to get him going, which I guess is what he needed, or was part of the reason why he retired in '93. The fact that he had no more motivation anymore, the media had probably driven him out of the game. We obviously touched on the, uh, the the passing of his father, that most certainly had an impact on his decision to retire as well. But the fact that he had nothing really left to achieve in the game at the end of '93 is probably why, when he came back, he needed these small little things to. To, to get him going, to, to motivate him the way he did because he still was the best. He still was the greatest when he came back. So they, they touched on the things with George, uh, George Carl, uh, that, that classic memeable moment where the, uh, Gary Payton is talking about how he was sort of locking up Jordan. Then they quickly cut the Jordan of, of Jordan watching Payton talk about that on the iPad and then Jordan, Michael just obviously laughing at that. And the fact that uh, the glove did nothing to necessarily uh, negate his performance. George Carl was the LeBradford Smith stuff. There was just these elements of these stories sprinkled in about it where someone would do something, uh, if it was real or even not, like the LeBradford Smith stuff. Obviously, they went into um, BJ Armstrong and what he did in game two in 98 as well. So those... Those sorts of things were were touched on in this episode as well, and just sort of helped build the uh, the the mystique or the mythology of Jordan, I suppose. Yeah, there's so what it really hit struck me is there's so many things that happened in his life that I wonder if it didn't happen, if things would have ended up completely differently. Let, let's just touch on you know his father getting shot and a random act of violence and. You know, just the way the press was, was so irresponsible and so nauseating and with this incredibly dumb, you know, conspiracy theorist running around, you know, when the odds clearly are that uh, or, or all the evidence showed that it had nothing to do with that. The evidence was this guy was murdered in a burglary attempt. And, you know, it was so if what but what happens if, if he didn't if his father never parked the car there? What happens if his father lived? You know, I wonder if he would have quit basketball. I wonder if he would have played baseball. I know he said he was thinking about it then, but I think that's a much easier discussion or easier thing to say with his father gone, you know, and you lose your passion for playing basketball. I do wonder what would have happened. What would have happened if um, Tony's shot was missed and Pippen would have been traded? Would he have come back? Would he have come back if it was um, Sean Kemp on the team? I think he would have was in, in Tony at the three, but, you know, we don't know. We'll never know. What would happen if Paxson missed the three against the Suns? Then would have gone to game seven. Would he, won, would he have won that game? Would it have been a different story? If the Bulls would have lost to the Suns, would he more like come back to win another title? You know, so there's all these what-ifs there, but, um, you know, at, at looking back, it, it, I don't think the story could have been written much better, although I will say – oh, the other one was the, the, the baseball strike. I don't know if he would have come back if there wasn't a baseball strike in 1994. It seemed like he was pretty dedicated to the game of baseball if there wasn't that strike. I don't know if you believe that. It sure seemed that way in watching the doc. Yeah, that's the way it was positioned. Again, I don't know if I believe that either. I mean, it's hard to say given we don't know how it would have played out and maybe if he continued on. I mean, they had the baseball people on there talking about if he continued playing or putting in the effort that he was and continued you know, gaining that experience that he could have made the major leagues or something of that nature. Who knows how good he would have been or if he even makes it. But yeah, it's a fair point. If, if they don't have that strike, then maybe Jordan doesn't entertain coming back. But it, it is a big what if. But those sorts of scenarios littered 
most careers you can do you can play the what if game with with literally everything but yeah it, it, it was fun to think about all that stuff it was fun to think about all the small slights that Jordan had to sort of get through or not get through but even manufactured himself and the way he used that as fuel to just push through that second three Pete because he had done it all he needed something to fuel him beyond obviously just the the cause for winning and uh, I I've, I've really appreciated BJ Armstrong in the last couple of episodes I thought he's been damn good yeah, I, I I do feel too like um the one thing I will say about this doc I've been frustrated with is uh Tony Kukoc was a key member of that team. He's been relegated to just two small sections, a discussion of how he was embarrassed on the US Olympic team and then obviously in the nineteen ninety four, uh, you know, what what happened with the one point eight. Um I was happy they showed Phil's reasoning for for putting him in the, in that position that he did hit a bunch of game winning shots that season, uh, but outside of that he's been almost non-existent, not talked about. I found that disappointing because to me he deserves better. Um, but that's a one, only probably one of the few things I have an issue with in this whole doc. I think outside of that, it's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we, we've been having this discussion on the Bulls HQ Discord forum. If you want to be part of that, send us an email at bullshq at gmail.com. But we, we've been talking about our feelings about the documentary more more from a holistic standpoint and what you know if it meets our expectations. And to some degree, it always will because we are obviously Bulls fanatics. If you are listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're listening to The Last Dance. You're a, you're a hardcore Bulls fan. So no matter what they produce, given that it's Michael Jordan, we're all going to be, you know, yeah, just enthralled with what's going on. We're just going to be completely entertained by it no matter what. But, you know, maybe stepping back slightly and maybe being a little bit objective about it, it it's probably been more of a Jordan puff piece than a Chicago Bulls recount of sorts, which is why certain things have missed, been missing in the episodes that I would have liked to have seen. Like they didn't even talk about Hugh Hollands in 1994. Uh, the, you just alluded to the Ku coach stuff there. Maybe we get more Tony that we're in episodes nine and 10 where they're probably going to go into that Pacers series and, and he was really good in that Pacers series and save the balls to a degree. So maybe we'll get more Tony there. But it, it, it is interesting how there's been certain elements of it that I would have liked to have seen that we probably didn't necessarily get. Um, they didn't. They didn't mention really Chonkep at all in the '96 finals. He was pretty damn amazing in those finals. So there's there's yeah. elements of that that have been missing, which I'm not surprised, given that again Jordan has been the uh, the driving force behind this documentary. Was always going to be given that he was involved in the uh, production of it, I suppose. But at the same at the same point or the same time, I would have liked to have seen certain other elements covered off, like Kukoc, like Pippen, like other like other little storylines throughout the years. I did think too, you know, this was the episode where people were saying it was a little controversial that he'd be portrayed negatively. And there absolutely was that. I mean, it's not great some of the stuff he was saying to Scott Burrell, right? But then you also saw the counter where Scott Burrell brings in two guys from his Connecticut team where Michael takes his time. He's laughing with them, joking around with them. I mean, it was just so cool to see Michael, you know, for, for a teammate to step in and be just like such a class act for two two other guys from the Yukon and see him joking around about how they have a great women's team. And it was just, I, I love that scene like that. That to me also shows the great side of the man. And I think he is absolutely a great man. I know he has his fault as all people do. I mean, you know, some of the heroes in my life, you know, you heard about John Kennedy, for example, you know, though he had a lot of faults that, People didn't talk about it at that time and didn't realize until many years later. But overall, in in the grand summary of uh, of of the of the man, 
I don't see how you can watch this and, and not feel like this guy was really something, you know, like, and not admire him, which leads to my question to you. I'd like to bring this up, which I kind of touched on in our Twitter back and forth. I like to throw out a couple names and I like you to tell me, do you feel better or worse than you did before this documentary about this player? Mm-hmm. So can, you want to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Michael Jordan. Feel better. I was always going to feel better. I, uh, I alluded to it last week, but there's no way he was, I was going to feel worse unless something horrific came out that we didn't know about. But of course, uh, this you know, watching this has just reinforced uh, his greatness, the fact that he is the GOAT. And I think that in part is the reason why this uh, this whole thing went, went out, has sort of been produced, the fact that uh, maybe Jordan just wanted to reclaim, not necessarily reclaim, but just let the youngins out out there know who maybe have never seen Jordan, who he is or how he played, all that sort of stuff. Just let him know, let them know who exactly he was. So Jordan, uh, yeah, comes away looking even better than what he did before. Yeah, before this doc, if you ask me if there's one person in the world that you'd like to spend 10 minutes with to talk to, um, I, w- I would have said Michael Jordan. The only difference now is I would want 20 minutes. So that's uh, that's how much better I feel about him. He's, to me, the greatest uh, human being in the history of the world outside a few other people. Me. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe we can go back. Uh, there's been a couple of good people uh, throughout the centuries, but he's definitely up there in the top 10. Uh, Scotty Pippen. We'll see. The way he's been perceived on the documentary, to me, I think has been at a detriment to him, I believe. Now, it hasn't changed my views of him. I still love Scotty. Scotty, it's funny. I I prefer, like, whenever we have a star player on the balls, which is rare these days, but whenever there is that top-line talent, they're not the ones that I typically gravitate toward. And not that I don't recognize their talent, not that I don't love those players or appreciate them, but it was, it was the same thing with Jordan, same thing with Derrick Rose. But it, to me, it's just like common sense or just it, it's written in stone that you, you love and appreciate those players where it's guys like Noah, guys like Taj, guys like Kirk, guys like Pippen, who I tend to love more for whatever reason. I, I don't know I don't know exactly why that is, but to me... I don't know. The, the way that Scotty has been perceived in this doc, again, it's more of a Jordan production than it is a Bulls production. I would have liked it to have been a little bit different. So I think generally there might be a chance that other people view Scotty a little bit differently. But to me, I haven't changed my opinion of him. Yeah, I, I actually, believe it or not, say my opinion of Pippen is better. And that's almost strictly uh, with the universal um, universal comments from teammates how much they loved him. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't say mine was low before, but it definitely, I definitely felt he wasn't, uh, you know, one of the top five players from that era. I think he's absolutely top fifty all the time. I think he's probably the best defensive player, but I just didn't have as high of a view of him as everyone else did. But uh, I definitely feel better about him now. Let's go to Phil Jackson. Well, see, I would have liked to have seen more Phil, to be honest with you. We've seen snippets of Phil and, and his wizardry, if we want to say that. But um, I would have liked to see more Phil as well because I he's, he's an intriguing character. So my opinion probably hasn't changed too much. I, if anything, it's grown slightly, but I would have liked to have seen more what Phil did. Just, just I mean, we talk about coaches managing egos in today's game, but imagine just being in that situation where you're not only trying to manage Jordan, the, the biggest player that's ever seen in this game, but you've got the whole dynamics happening with Kraus. You've got Jerry Reinsdorf just sitting on his ass doing absolutely nothing. So uh, the way he managed his men, I, that to me is very interesting. and I would have liked to have been that to be explored a little bit more than what it has. How about uh, Jerry Reinsdorf? I 
my negative opinion of Jerry Reinsdorf grows by the hour I watch these documentaries. And I I have an overwhelming feeling that after episode 10 concludes that I'll be very, very pissed off at Jerry Reinsdorf, even more so than I have been in the past. (laughs) Okay. How about, uh, (laughs) that's interesting, Steve Kerr? I love Steve Kerr. Every time he talks, um, I'm hooked. Uh, I'm um, enthralled by Steve Kerr. I wish he was part of the Bulls organization. That's that's the one thing that annoys me about the Bulls is that most people who have been connected to this franchise have left the franchise and never haven't necessarily ever come back. And Steve Kerr is one of those guys who I would have loved to remain with the Bulls in some capacity, whether that was years ago as a, as a general manager, whether that's more recently as a coach. The, the fact that he's coaching elsewhere uh, or he's not part of the balls in some some shape or form like that bothers me so uh, I wish I wish balls players including Steve Kerr were were more connected to the franchise and it's sad that that isn't the case uh Dennis Rodman uh probably the same probably just you know my admiration hasn't necessarily changed okay anybody else you wanted to add those were the main ones I wanted to get your opinion uh, on there's not really any ma- major figures that we no, have. Really I mean, my feelings on Kraus are the same. I think mostly they're all the same, either because they haven't shown enough of those guys within the documentary. It's been mostly about Jordan um, or things have gotten worse for certain people like Reinsdorf. But for Jordan, obviously, the love has uh, grown a lot more and that would be the case given the most of the uh, documentary has been about him. Agreed. Agreed. And it's been great. I cannot wait for the final two. A little bit of, I got to admit, a little bit of sorrow that these will be the final two, but I got great news for you, Mark. I'm working on a documentary of the three alphas. Um, so the three alpha season, I might actually enlist your support uh, with some comments. I do need some opposing views, and I'm what? sure yours are going to be exactly opposed to mine. But uh, Most likely. Uh, yeah. I, it should. It's going to be a mini documentary. So it won't be too long. Probably about ten minutes long, maybe fifteen. <laughs> yeah. But I think you'll. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a. It's a justification for the three alphas. It's a review of the season, and of the. And we all know the story, right? The uh, unfortunate uh, break of um, Rondo's uh, thumb. But I'm trying to get interviews with Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and. Uh, Rondo. So far, I've been unsuccessful in those attempts. <laughs> <laughs> but, Surprisingly. Surprising. <laughs> I'm hoping to get them on board, and it would be an entertaining uh, doc, I think. So I hope you, I hope to get your support. Well, 100%. I'll, I'll, I'll happily be part of it. Now, in saying that, I do know your uh, lead times in terms of production is uh, quite long, uh, If I, if based on your previous efforts. So I'm not expecting it to see the light of day before the world blows up and it, it sort of inhales itself. So um, my expectations- Maybe a 10-year anniversary. Of, <laughs> in terms of my expectations of delivery of the product to the masses, I'm not expecting anything- Within the next 20, 30 years, something of that vicinity. But um, when it does finally get out and surfaces and you do finally get to talk to Jimmy Butler, Rondo, Wade, all the other parties that were involved, then um, I most certainly will be looking forward to uh, seeing it and plugging it on Twitter if Twitter is still a thing at that point. Well, I'm open for an idea about the title of the doc. So if you have any, please send them over to me. Fans, listeners of uh, Bulls HQ, please send me those at uh, at CBE Fred on Twitter or Chicago Bullseye at gmail.com. And if uh, you give me a good idea for the title of the doc, I will give you uh, congratulations in the, in the credits. Well, there you go. And, and alluding to my point about your slow production time, you did say on record on this podcast last week that we would have – a sneak peek, or not even a sneak peek, we would have the full version of the Heinrich song 
to share with the listeners. But I, did I really say that? You did say I, that, and to well, no surprise, well, I had the basement you, with the basement. <laughs> to, to no surprise, you've uh, you failed to meet the deadline. So, um, yeah, that just my voice backs up a little my point about hoarse. not necessarily seeing your uh, three alphas dock anytime soon. I should have not concentrated on that doc so heavily. I should have finished the Heinrich song first. I promise I'll give a, a better focus and uh, deliver what I was uh, promised to you. Wow. I can't believe I didn't come through with that. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I, I got to go back it. and listen yeah, to the last I can episode. believe that you didn't come through with it. So, um, <laughs> All right. Maybe one day soon. soon. All right, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. As Fred sort of suggested there, episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance air next Sunday. We will be back then to discuss... The final wrap-up of The Last Dance, that has been fun. It's given us something to talk about during this pandemic when no basketball has been played. So we'll uh, we'll see how uh, what we'll be talking about after them. But it, I, I am thoroughly looking forward to watching the last couple episodes of The Last Dance and wrapping that up with you, Fred. Thank you for joining me today, my friend. Thank you to listeners for listening into the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at CBE Fred. You can follow me at MK Hoops. Follow the show too at Bulls HQ Pod. Send us an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for listening in. We'll be back next week to, to, to talk all things Last Dance episodes 9 and 10. But until then, speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.